Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. Good morning, everyone. It's me taking my gum out while you say good morning to me. Good morning. <laughs> oh, it's good to be here with you guys. Um, the series has been really good. This is who I am. And so we're wrapping it up this morning. We've been talking about our identity in Christ that we're accepted, that we're secure, that we're significant. This morning I want to talk to us about I am righteous. A lot of Christians, a lot of people, but a lot of Christians aren't living free and productive lives because they don't understand who they are. They don't know who they are because when we begin to understand who we are in Christ, we begin to experience freedom. And our identity in Christ is not something that can change. It's not something we can shake. It's, it's our identity no matter what we do. Your personal identity and how you see yourself is going to be shaped by your understanding of who you are in Christ. Because there's all these other things that want to shape us. You know, in our early years, how, how we're parented, our experiences in, in um, elementary school, our experiences in junior high and in high school, those shape us. Our experiences on social media can shape us. So especially now, we have to be secure in who we are because there's going to be people who are going to say things about you. There's going to be people that say things about the way you look. There's going to be people that say something negative about a, a picture that you posted. Maybe they don't like, you know, something about what you believe that you shared online. Maybe they don't like you. I don't know. I mean, think back to junior high. It's kind of difficult. Those of you that are in, in public school, maybe you know. I remember a lot of really tricky conversations of people trying to tell me who I was. You know, at one point, I had a group of friends who I thought were great friends. They were popular, and they were cool, and I wanted to hang out with them. But they would tell me, you know, Amy, we made you. We could break you. You were the new kid at school. You're only popular because we let you in. So we made you who you are. We can, we can break you. I remember hours crying over that, thinking, like, I don't even know who I am. I, I don't know. You know, I've had other times in my life where, where friends have said some pretty hurtful things and I trusted them. And I, I, had, I began to question, like, who am I really? If this is who they think I am, maybe that's who I am. But our roots in Christ have to be so deep so that when those things come, we aren't shaken. So let me pray for you this morning as we begin to dive into the Word of God. God, I thank you for your presence that's in this place, that you meet us here week after week. I thank you for a community of believers and the family of God. And as we walk these things out, as we figure out who we are, as we figure out what you say about us, we're not alone. And I pray that we would champion each other and encourage each other on. But today, God, I pray that your word, living and active, would be activated in our hearts and in our lives today. God, that your word would do a work. In Jesus' name, amen.
So knowing our God-given identity gives us confidence, self-esteem, awareness. You know, if I, knew who, if I know who I am, it's going to be okay if I have a few pimples one day. You know, it's going to be okay if one year I'm in shape and the next year I'm not. <laughs> the in-shape years are better. But our self-esteem is going to be developed out of our understanding of who God says we are. And when we know who we are and whose we are, it changes everything. And part of our identity in Christ is that we are righteous. If you look up a definition of righteous, um, the, the Merriam-Webster dictionary is going to talk about um, being free from guilt or sin. And that is, uh, also it talks about our, our righteousness is acting in accord with the divine or moral law. It talks about, you know, the things we do. And that really is man's definition of righteousness, is this, this righteousness that we end up thinking is that it's all about doing what's right. Our human idea of righteousness is that, that it's usually tagged and attached to what we do. And God gives us a broader picture. He gives us a bigger understanding about righteousness that he provides in Christ. And so no matter what age you are today, I believe that God wants to speak to your heart and help you understand who you are in Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he, God, made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Talking about Christ. He made Jesus, who never sinned, he knew no sin. Not only did Jesus take our sin, but he, he became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. And and if we want to look at righteousness in the Bible, in the Old Testament, in the law before Jesus came, the Bible talks about how a man could be righteous before God. It had a lot to do with the works of the law. It had a lot to do with sacrifices and, and, and bloodshed and different things like that. We could, be, we could be righteous before God if we kept the laws of Moses, which were basically impossible. You know, I can't think off the top of my head how many there were, but more than the Ten Commandments, guys. Like hundreds of laws, that was how we could become righteous before God. So, in other words, it was righteousness by works. Obviously impossible, which was the whole point. Because God wanted to show us our need for a Savior, he wanted to show us that all of the rules and all of the laws and all of the regulations weren't something that we on our own were capable of keeping. And so before we accept Christ, if someone hasn't accepted Jesus yet, our identity is as a sinner. And God sees every one of us. He sees us as people who've sinned. And it doesn't matter how many good things we've done, how many right things. It doesn't matter how many people we help. It doesn't matter how many people admire us or follow us or applaud us. We remain a sinner. And there's, there's nothing we can do 
to be seen as righteous in God's eyes because we can never match up to his standard of righteousness. I know I've told you this before, but when I was a young girl, um, even in elementary school, I remember I just often struggled with, with keeping the rules of religion. I, I remember like knowing some right things that I should do, but also I didn't want to do them. You know, and I, I felt like, ah, well, now that I said a bad word, it's too late. It's over. It's done for. It's just, God's not going to like me. My parents were new believers, and they didn't really have the words or the understanding to teach me about a relationship with Jesus as much as they accidentally taught me about religion. Um, maybe, maybe they didn't even teach me so much as I just received that message that how I behaved, what I did, the things I said, there were rules that needed to be kept and I wasn't very good at that. And so even though as a young girl I believed in Jesus, I wanted to go to heaven, I didn't really know who I was. And I, I acted more like, like a slave than someone who was adopted. I didn't want to do things to please God. I, just, I did things because I had to because that's what I thought he wanted. And so as much as even I wanted to be a good rule keeper, I wanted other things more. I wanted other pleasures and other choices. So there was this always this mental battle going on in my heart and my head because I just knew I wasn't measuring up and I, I didn't think that I ever could. So I struggled a lot through my teenage years with guilt and um, one of the battles for me was just condemnation. The enemy would come and tell me, you know, I was no good. God couldn't love me. God couldn't forgive me. And one of the things I was really hung up on was that God wouldn't want to use me. I just felt like the list was too long, too dark, too wrong. God could never take me and do anything for his purpose. And that was a really big battle as I, as I just thought I wasn't measuring up. It was too much of a sinner. But what I want to share with you is something I learned, and the problem was I was still basing everything on me. The things that I did or didn't do, and maybe you have struggled with the same thing, but when we accept Christ and we believe in him, when we accept him, there's this incredible change that takes place inside of us, and we actually become the righteousness of God. We actually receive the very nature of Jesus. We receive the righteousness of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, this might be a scripture you've memorized. If not, it's a really good one to add, add to your heart. If anyone, well, therefore, it says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, the old has gone, and the new has come. And so we have to understand that the Bible says God's given us a new nature. It's his nature. It's the very righteousness of Christ. If you keep reading in verse 21, um, like we talked about already, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And this gift of righteousness is just that. It's a gift that God gives us when we accept Jesus 
as our Lord and Savior. We accept Christ, and his righteousness becomes our identity. So we have to understand, it's not something we can earn. It's not something we can work for. And it has nothing to do with us, but everything to do with him and who we are in him. Righteousness becomes our identity. And if you look up in the Bible that word, what it means, it's this like judicial approval. Approval in a court of law. The approval of God. Divine approval. Refers to what God sees as right. After his examination. It's what, what he sees. It's what's approved in his eyes. And we receive a gift. We receive God's approval. And that root word, if you study it out, it, it's about being found innocent, faultless, um, guiltless, holy. Righteousness is right standing with God. And identity, we have to remember, it's about who God says we are, how he sees us. And the Bible is very clear that when we accept Jesus, he sees us as faultless. We have right standing. So because of Jesus, I am righteous. Romans 3, um, this week, if you need somewhere to read, I want to encourage you to read Romans chapter 3 and Romans chapter 4. And, and for a fresh view, read it in the message translation. It just encouraged me so much that I want to overuse reading out loud some of Scripture today. So I hope you can track with me, but I just found it so encouraging. So in Romans chapter 3, it's talking about what difference does it make? Who's a Jew and who isn't? Who's been trained in God's ways and who hasn't? Um, as, as it turns out, it makes a lot of difference, but not the difference some may have assumed. So where does that put us? Basically, it's about verse 9, all of us, whether insiders or outsiders, start out in identical conditions, which is to say we all start out as sinners. Scripture leaves no doubt about it. All of us. You know that um, in, in Romans 3.23, in a different translation, all have sinned. We've all fallen short. And it's clear enough, the message says. It's clear enough, isn't it, that we're sinners, every one of us, in the same sinking boat with everybody else? But in our time, something new has been added. What Moses and the prophets witnessed to all those years has happened. The God setting things right that we read about has become Jesus setting things right for us. And not only for us, but for everyone who believes in him. For there's no difference between us and them. Since we've compiled this long and very sorry record as sinners, both us and them prove that we were utterly incapable of living this, the glorious lives God wills for us. Think about the longest list you could ever make. Maybe some of you write letters to Santa still. You don't want to write a short list, right? Picture the longest list. And that, and that record is sometimes what we hold against ourselves. We remember all the things that we've done. We've, we've uh, compiled this long and sorry list. We're incapable on our own. Maybe you felt like this. Maybe you can identify with this long, sorry record 
as a sinner. You know, kids, maybe, maybe you disobey your parents. Probably your kids don't. Neither do mine, of course. Maybe you fight with your sibling. Maybe, maybe you say mean things to other people. Maybe, you're, maybe you swear on the playground and you just know that you shouldn't be. Maybe you gossip about your friends. Maybe there's things that are going on that nobody else knows about, but you just find it impossible to do the right thing. And the good news is, on our own, it is impossible. We're incapable without Jesus. The message goes on to say, God did it for us out of sheer generosity. He put us in right standing with himself, a pure gift. He got us into this out of the mess we're in, and restored us to where he always wanted us to be, and he did it through Jesus Christ. And the good news is no matter what mess you've gotten yourself in, I know God is faithful, and he can get you out of that mess. He can get you out of that mess. He can make things right, and he makes you right in his eyes. It's literally telling us in these verses that God sets things right for us. For me and for you. He does it. And he's done it for everyone as a gift. We're we're all sinners deserving of death. But Jesus takes our sin, becomes sin for us, and he takes God's wrath upon himself, and he pays the price that, that God's justice demands. He pays the price, takes it on himself so we can be forgiven. And just in getting ready for this message, I just felt such an excitement of like, yeah, I want everyone to get this as we enter this Christmas season. Like, I just wish everyone, I wish I had eloquent words. I wish I could communicate it so that everyone could just want to receive this gift. This gift that God gives us. Not because, you know, we have to do a whole bunch of things. Not because we have to do right things for salvation or for God to accept us, but because it's a gift. Verse 25 to 26, God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world to clear that world of sin. Having faith in him sets us in the clear. And that's just another reminder this morning that it's not about us. It's nothing that we do. When we have faith in him, we're putting our belief in Jesus. Not work harder, not do more, not clean ourselves up, nothing. He's cleared us, and we put our faith in him. God decided on this course of action in full view of the public to set the world in the clear with himself through the sacrifice of Jesus, taking care of the sins. This is not only clear, but it's now, this is current history. God sets things right. He also makes it possible for us to live in his rightness. So not only does he clear our sins, he makes it possible for us to live in righteousness. And he helps us. He helps us by giving us right standing with God. And because we have his nature in us, he comes and he indwells and lives in us, the very presence of God. Because of that, we can do right things. Not because we have to. So where does that 
leave our proud Jewish insider and outsider claims. And, and most of us here aren't Jewish, but don't we sometimes fall into that religious group? Like we have these claims of how great we are and all the things we do. Where does that leave it? Canceled. Yes, canceled. What we've learned is this. God does not respond to what we do. We respond to what God does. We finally figured it out. Our lives get in step with God and all others. Isn't that good news? We get in step with God and other people by letting him set the pace, not by proudly or anxiously trying to run the parade. That's interesting. An interesting picture. He does it, not us. Again, God does not respond to what we do in this term, in this identity topic. So I often talk to people, maybe who are like me, um, maybe who can identify with, like, we just, we want to try really hard to just, we think we can do better. We're just going to pull it all together, and then we'll come to God. Like, if I could just get, if I could just quit doing all these bad things, and I could make things all right on my own, then I want to come to God. And we think that we can just work it out. We think we can work out our mess. We think we can work out our situation, whatever we've gotten ourselves into, just by doing some good things. And we quit relying on God's grace, and we start relying on ourselves. It's, it's tempting as a human. And the enemy, he comes and he tries, tries to get us to move in this realm of, of works. Like, instead of faith, instead of believing in Jesus, he wants us to, you know, maybe he's going to trick us into like, yeah, well, if you start serving at church, then God might approve of you. If you, if you quit drinking and smoking and, and doing all of those things, um, maybe, maybe God's going to think you're okay. I remember I'd spend some late nights out partying with friends, and then I'd, a couple hours later, show up for my Sunday school class that someone had asked me to teach. Because I just thought, well, if I, if I keep doing that, like, it's okay. God is, he's going to have some grace towards me. Maybe we get a little bit better and we don't sin as much as we used to and so we just quit relying on grace. And if you ask people, if you did a survey of people you knew, how do you get to heaven? Many of them are going to say, well, you just have to be a good person. I've had a lot of conversations with people who say, yeah, but I'm a good person. That's not how you get to heaven. They're going to say, well, I, I do good things. You know, I, I give to charity every year. Well, hopefully at the end of your life, you've done more good things than bad things, but that's not how you get to heaven. And so the problem with that way of thinking is that God's standard, it isn't good. It's perfect. God's standard is not good. Good doesn't cut it. It's perfect. And so we've all failed. How do we get to heaven? It's not the good things that we do. It's by believing in the perfect one who died in our place, keeping the entire law, and that's Jesus. Righteousness is right standing with God. The state of being right with God. So, can a righteous person do an unrighteous deed. Yeah. 
a righteous person can still do an unrighteous deed. I mean, if you're wondering about that, you probably just can look in the mirror. Yeah, it's true. Because you've, you've done a lot of unrighteous things, right? Even since you've believed in Jesus. So, okay, so a righteous person can do unrighteous things. Can an unrighteous person do a righteous deed? Yeah. Unrighteous people can do righteous deeds. They can do good things. Does that give them right standing with God? Their good deeds? No. Because he does something right. Is that going to change anything? No. He has to accept Jesus. Follow me here. Does the unrighteous deed that the righteous person does, does that make him unrighteous? The unrighteous deed the righteous person does. Is he unrighteous? No, because he's righteous by position, not by performance. Right? It's our, our right standing with God is about our position. It's about who we are, not what we do. So our righteousness, our identity, it's not because of our good deeds or bad deeds. We have to let it sink in. It has nothing to do with me. In Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, it says, All our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. The message says, We're all sin-infected. Sin contaminated, and our best efforts are grease-stained rags. And so you know that I had to get some grease-stained rags for you today. Just gross, actually. You know that smell? I can smell it. So our best efforts, our best efforts are grease-stained rags. And so here, this jar, this represents Travis. This one represents me. See how husband and wifey it is? Like one's taller. Okay. And this one will represent Jesus. And um, so it's like, it's like we've been making these sin deposits into our jars. Just the good things we do, our sin. God says it's like filthy rags. And so I made quite a few, but Pastor Travis, saintly as he is, he also has sin deposits in his jar. Probably a little less than me, I will say. But, you know, we all have these, these things, whether it's the list we put against ourselves, the things we try to do to put ourselves in right standing with God. I know I I had a lot of sin deposits before I came to Christ. Even now, um, my best efforts, they're just filthy rags before God if I try to do it in my own strength and not Jesus. So we make sin deposits, some of us a little more frequent than others. Maybe, maybe a little worse, maybe we're a little greasier, but the Bible says we've all sinned. So we all, we're all in the same boat. 
We've all made these deposits. And God looks into my account and he sees filthy rags. He looks at my account. But when Jesus died for our sins, the blood of Jesus erased the sins of the whole world. And a lot of people, they don't realize that. Maybe we don't think of it that way, but Jesus died for the world. 2 Corinthians 5.19, God was in Christ reconciling the the world to him, not counting their trespasses against them. And he committed us to the word of reconciliation. Not counting, it's that same word used for accounting. He's not counting it against us when we're in Christ. So it's not a debt anymore. It's not, it's not something that stays in our account because he took away the sin of the whole world and he puts it on Jesus. And Jesus on the cross cancels the record that was written against us. It's nailed to the cross and he becomes sin for us if we're willing to believe in Jesus. If we're willing to put our faith in him, because without, we've got these sin deposits that, that God sees. But now, he cancels it, erases it, and gives it to Jesus. And Jesus took our sins. He took the whole world's sins. And now, if you're thinking ahead, maybe, maybe you're going to think, well, yeah, but I know some people aren't going to heaven. And that's true. Because God gave us a will and we have to choose whether we're going to receive what Jesus did for us or not. People don't go to hell for sin because Jesus already paid for our sin. They go to hell because of unbelief. I know that's not a popular word to talk about in church anymore, but I decided to go there. It's not our sins, it's our unbelief. Because Jesus has already canceled and already erased the sins of the whole world. We only have to put our faith in him. So if you continue reading in Romans chapter 4, how do we, how do we fit what we know of Abraham, our father in the faith, into this new way of looking at things? The story we're given is a God story, not an Abraham story. Abraham entered into what God was doing for him, and this was the turning point. He trusted God to set him right instead of trying to be right on his own. I like this verse, and I'm just about done. If you're a hard worker and do a good job, you deserve your pay. We don't call wages a gift. But if you see that the job is too big for you, that it's something only God can do, and you trust him to do it, You could never do it for yourself, no matter how hard and long you worked. Well, that trusting him to do it is what gets you set right with God, by God. Sheer gift. So God puts all of my sins into Jesus' account, and he erased my account. And there's no sin in my account. But there's also no righteousness. But God, through Jesus puts righteousness in our account. And he covers us. And when he sees us, he sees the very righteousness 
of Christ. I want to go around and put these on your heads, but I'm not going to. <laughs> he sees the very righteousness of Christ in us. All I have to do is believe. That's faith. It was credited to Abraham as righteousness, his faith, our belief in Jesus. We receive the righteousness deposit. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come, and I want us to think about this. I want to encourage you, if you've never heard this before, maybe you've heard it, but you've still just been trying to do it on your own, you just simply have to put your faith in Jesus, who he says he is. Put your trust in him as Lord and put your identity in him. And if you're struggling with forgiveness or shame or guilt, I want to encourage you to come and get prayer today. And let today be the day that you move forward, that you, that you move forward and you believe who God says he is and who he says you are. That you believe that, that he'll do what he'll say he do, he'll do. I know in my life, it was probably years and and then months and then weeks where it was just every time I would come into the presence of God, the feelings of condemnation, the feelings of guilt, and not good enough and not measuring up would just flood my mind. It wasn't until I confessed my sin to a one another, it wasn't until I confessed some of the things that were on my list, that I began to be healed. God says when we confess our sins to one another, God forgives us and there's healing. And so that might be something you have to do. I, I think it's not a one-time talk at the altar. It was walked out in relationship for me. It was walked out in days and weeks and prayers and tears and, and conversations. And I want that for you too. If this is something that you're struggling with, let, let today be a new day. Believe that Jesus died for your sins, that he was buried. On the third day, he rose again. He rose from the grave. When you believe in him as your Lord and Savior, God deposits righteousness in our account. I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to ask... I'm going to ask Pastor Travis to come and just do a final, final closing here. God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that you, you loved us so much, you gave your only son. And God, that, that you forgive us of our sin, but you also give us the righteousness of Christ. And this morning I just pray, God, that as your word is, is living and, and alive, that you would soften our hearts. And there would be those that would come to you and lay these things down. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take a moment like we always do this morning and just pause and ask the Holy Spirit what it is he'd like us to take away from what you've heard today. And I am, I am biased and partial to my wife's talents and abilities. And it's a good message. I know my entire life, 
I sometimes, my entire life, I wondered, Lord, what is the point then of doing the right things? If my righteous works are simply filthy rags in your sight, what's the value of right works? And this morning, as Pastor Amy was preaching, the Lord actually answered that question. I want to share that with you very quickly. Your righteous works that are now filthy rags are that because they were used to do something good. This is why it isn't wrong for us to do good things. It'll never be wrong for you to do a righteous thing, no matter how unrighteous or righteous you may be, no matter what your standing is. But the fact will be that if you take a clean rag and you use it to wipe up a mess for all eternity, that rag is now dirty. And a dirty rag actually has no value. And what Scripture is trying to help us understand is that while we may do good things in and of ourselves, because we are made in the image of God, the reality is, is we have no staying power to stay clean, to stay right. That's why we need Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who perpetually, because of who He is, keeps us sanctified, keeps us holy, keeps us clean. You notice I'm holding Pastor Amy's jar right now. Guys, Pastor Amy just shared with you something that can unlock so much freedom in your life. Do the right thing. But understand that doing the right thing is not what makes your standing right with God. Understand that no matter how you came here today, you can find yourself in a place of right standing with God through Jesus. We need to allow ourselves to be crucified with Christ so that we can live in Him. And while sometimes we simplify that to saying a prayer, what I want you to know is this. Every one of us, every single day, must choose to take up our cross and follow Jesus again. Every morning when you get up, you have a fresh opportunity to be His disciple once more. Every time you fight with your wife or you fight with your husband or you fight with your kids, you have the opportunity to come to the throne of grace with confidence because you're in need of help. And you have the opportunity to get to do it again empowered by the Holy Spirit, enriched by the reality of the person of Jesus living in your life. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.